when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is Monday, May 21st, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 158. I'm your host, Austin Walker, back from the West Coast, back in Queens today, uh, and joining me, uh, also in New York, Danielle Riendo. Hi! I'm not quite in Queens, but I'm real close. You're pretty close. I can see Queens from my window. I can see it. Wow. Wow. Also joining us far from Queens, uh, (laughs) Rob Zachney. Hey, what's up, everybody? Patrick has traded places with me. Is hanging out on the West Coast this week, so no Patrick. Uh, but but we have a full we have a full team right here. We don't oh, need yeah. Patrick this week. Patrick, you're you've left. That means that we can talk about all the giant robots and ARGs and uh, <laughs> whatever. I can talk about Kingdom Hearts three. I, I played I played Kingdom Hearts three out yeah. west. I I'm not a I'm, so. I went out west for Judges Week last week. I went to, to L.A. I hung out in mostly in Santa Monica, which is where Judges Week tends to happen. And for people who don't know, uh, pre-E3 Judges Week, Critics Week, whatever you want to call it. If you're a PR person, you've used three or four different names uh, in various emails to me. Uh, and so I've heard it a bunch of different ways. Um, it is uh, a week where we get to go uh, – one person from from kind of a lot of different outlets gets to go and – um, hang out and play some E3 games ahead of time to kind of help schedule things out and figure out what's what we want to do for coverage and also just judge it to like make sure that you've hands on time with a game in a room that isn't just like a loud hyper massive um, E3 convention hall so you can be like oh yeah I actually played this game I I can make a judgment on it and decide whether or not to vote for it as part of these awards um as so I saw a bunch of stuff a lot of stuff I can't talk about quite yet. Um, but the stuff of the things I can talk about here, here are a few things I want to mention real quick and, and we can kind of dig in. I'm curious what you're interested in and we can kind of dig into that based on what y'all want to hear about. Call of Duty, Black Ops 4, um, Dreams I can talk about, Sony Media Molecules Dreams, uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 I can talk about, and The Crew 2, which was not there, but I did see that at an event recently and that embargo also just ended. Um, there's some other stuff that, that we can talk about later this week. I might do a stream with some footage from some other games. Um, uh, uh, or some, some, to talk about some, some other games and to talk about some of the footage we have from these. Um, but, but for now, those are the ones. Which, what sounds, what sounds popping? What sounds like you want to hear about it? I want to hear about dreams. I wonder right. what's up with that. So, so tell me what you know about Dreams right now. So the only things I know are I'm like actually I'm friends with Kara and like okay. I just know she's working on it in some capacity and that's sure. about all I know. <laughs> I just okay. know it, it it's some sort of surreal game uh it's very media molecule esque where you you are sort of creating elements of different genres in the gameplay in some fashion but that uh-huh. is 
all I know. That is it. <laughs> okay. Rob, tell me everything you know about dreams. Uh, I mean, I really like Cat Power. Uh, okay. Good song. <laughs> uh, okay, that's still better than I thought you were going to go into some, into like a Jungian direction. You know, oh, Jordan boy. Peterson has been in the news lately for being Oh, I mean, everything shitty. I know about dreams on that, on that, from that standpoint comes from that episode of Frasier. Uh, where he's having recurring dreams of waking up while someone is in the shower, and then he slowly deduces uh, that it might be deep seated edible issues, oh, or maybe sure. it's just he's such a good psychiatrist. So, is the bit he invented with, something with Fraser recently? Someone explained to me that that one of the brothers is a Jungian and one is a Freudian. Is that correct? I don't know that. I don't think that's true because they both are. They're both. Very adept, I think, at a variety of analytical framework or frameworks. Sure. Uh, so, like, it's a series that name drops uh, different methods. Gotcha. Uh, but I'm not sure that it's ever, like, portrayed as them being particularly doctrinaire. Gotcha. Okay. You know what? Good for them. You know? Uh, uh, good for <laughs> them Sigmund for being Freud flexible. shows up and hops into bed with Fraser in that episode, though. So, oh. I mean, maybe that is where his loyalties do lie. So, oh, Dreams is a game. Uh, by Media Molecule, whose name you might recognize from their work previously with Little Big Planet uh, and some other games. Uh, and it is definitely an evolution, I'd say, of Little Big Planet. Um, this is the game that has been at E3 a few times now, at PSX a couple of times now. And I think the first time that it was revealed, it was just like one of these very strange, it was like in 2015 is when it was announced, very strange dreamlike presentation where it was not clear what the game was. Um, you kind of got the impression that it was going to be a game about sharing something, that something might have been art, it might have been movies, it was hard to see what it was. Um, the the thing that it turns out to be is is kind of um, again an evolution of Little Big Planet. It is a one of the best demos I saw that week. I'm happy to say uh, it is a game in which you can build little mini games. You can build platformer levels like in Little Big Planet. You can build racing games, and I played a, a little space fighter, a little, like, arcade space sim. I played a game where you were a non-arcade game at all, in which you're trying to dock a spaceship into a space station. Um, I played a 2D platformer. I played a uh, a game that reminded me of something like um, uh, Gang Beasts, a sort of, like, competitive huh. multiplayer arena game. And... All of it's made in a tool set that's similar in some ways to the Little Big Planet system, in which there's triggers and you know um, lighting and programming and all that stuff. And the thing that distinguishes it, um, and, you know, again, it like like Little Big Planet, it comes with a bunch of content already made. But the the big picture vision of it is that everybody will be making their own stuff and sharing it on a you know through a sort of uh, catalog that you can search and tag and curate and blah blah blah. Um, the thing is. Everything in the game is made in dreams. Huh. Everything in the game. The only thing not made in dreams is, like, the UI. 
All of wow. the sounds are made in dreams. All of the music, including the stuff that the game ships with, including all of the stuff that Media Molecule, all of their hand-crafted content, which kind of takes you through a couple of different kind of dream worlds. And the aesthetics there are, like, themed in different ways, right? So, like, there's one that's kind of, like, a um, – kind of evokes a little bit of the the – DIY fairy tale vibe of Little Big Planet, but there's also one that's kind of like a film noir, literal point and click adventure game. Ooh, oh my yeah. god! Um, right, like literally is that? Uh, and I, I saw a third of their themes. I forget what the third one was. Now it's been a little while, um, but I think it had to do with like light and darkness. It had to do with like it was another sort of another sort of completely different aesthetic vibe, um, and. Because everything is so, so the demo that I had kind of introduced us to a couple of, of levels. Kind of a you're interacting with, by moving the six axis around, six ac- axis around the, the the controller. You're kind of pointing at, at stuff on the screen that way in a way that did not feel very comfortable for me, but was very easy for the guy giving me the demo. Um, and I can imagine people who play. If I played it a lot, I would get more comfortable. I'm hoping that there, there is maybe a another input situation there um it's not enough to ever keep me from not playing this game but like that's how you're using the ui that's how you're picking things up and placing things dive into something you said right there though yes you said like i imagine like people who play this game a lot yeah already i'm like well it sounds to me like it's less a game and more of a tool set that has a bunch of stuff living inside of it it's going to be the little big planet thing of like for me i'm just going to go click on like show me another dream bring me into someone else's dream world and let me play this new thing uh and but for other people it's going to be music composition software it's going to be a thing where you're going in and sculpting models right it uses voxels and so all of the things in the Ooh, game like hello yeah uh-huh, too, <laughs> yes if you like voxels this game is for you on um, which you literally sculpt voxels using you can use move controllers you can use the six axis you can like literally take a thing and like sculpt it into a shape and then that thing a blade of grass let's say or a little island and then you can upload that blade of grass or that island and then download it for your own thing to to build your level out right it's sort of like a big unity asset store right it's sort of like it sounds like pico 8 with massive production values yes it's like pico 8 (laughs) with massive production values yeah that's totally a good touchstone which is um fucking great <laughs> it's really cool Honestly. and like everything from like so, so i ended up building a little like 3d platformer level and you know setting the the there's all sorts of like very surface level things with the lighting that you can do and with like, glitch effects and with wait it has voxels and you didn't immediately try to recreate outcast inside of dreams I, you know i didn't have time i thought like maybe it'd be a little too long to build uh, i didn't have the you know 40 minutes is not <laughs> enough time to, to rebuild one of the i didn't play outcast but i know it's very uh. well received um or well regarded uh it is a really fucking unique thing. Um, and, and, and when we talk about voxels, like, it doesn't look like the way you think voxels look. Uh, it just looks like a video game. Um, and sometimes it can look, you know, grainy if you want it to look grainy. And sometimes it can be really smooth if you want it to look smooth. Um, I, I was so impressed by it in a way that was like, so the goal that they have is like we want people to be able to make video games and to like see what that joy is and to put this in schools and to have a tool set available. Uh, that gives people access to assets and to the very, very, very basic fundamental building blocks without needing to go buy, you know, uh, a, a an engine or even get, wrap their head around an engine like Unity or Game Maker, something even more basic than that. Um, and and you don't always have to make games even, right? So the, the end of the, the demo was this outstanding run of like 12 games made by people at the studio who are not in the game 
dev side of things, right? So it's like someone from HR, someone from the reception, you know, from the, one of the people at the reception desk, um, think, uh, someone who just made something while on a train, right? Uh, and some of those were, I guess one of those was actually a game that was made by the guy giving me the demo, and he's absolutely on the dev side. And that was, uh, like, yeah. really wild, this thing that looked like something out of Looney Tunes, where it was like a, um, it was a 2D platformer uh, that took place inside of, like, comic Pan like comic book panels with a 3D hand drawing stuff in. Um, it was like, and it was all made in dreams, right? Like none of that was made. It was like all of it was made in that software. But even the stuff that was being made by people who had no dev experience in a day or two, you know, uh, really creepy, like horror games of walking through the woods. Um, a really funny little micro game called like please hug me where it was just this little cute character on like a giant kind of island in the sky surrounded by like very like almost puppet like almost muppet like surrounded by all these other little red cylinders all of which were anthropomorphized with eyes and hands and stuff and wherever you went all the other characters would like walk away a little bit and like they would like (laughs) leap off the side of this floating sky island because they didn't want to hug you and eventually a a hug happens don't worry everything works out uh, but it was like a very like wow yeah this is like such a cute little mini micro game idea and this person made it in like three hours or whatever, um, such a compelling little like project that I'm really curious to see what people make with it and and of it when it launches. Um, it, it's one of those it was one of those demos that made the game feel solid for me. Uh, in a way that I could imagine booting it up now and being like, oh yeah, I'm going to spend an hour just like flipping through things in a way I never really did in Little Big Planet because the Little Big Planet aesthetic was so clear for most of those games um, that like, oh yeah, I'm going to get stuff that looks like Little Big Planet because they're all working from the same box of component parts. But you know, there was a bit during the demo where the the dev who I was speaking with, um, he was he's getting married and his partner. And he were debating, we're not debating, they were talking about which flowers to use, which flowers to decorate with. And so he put on the VR helmet, he put on the PSVR and sculpted out their wedding venue and then like mocked it up with different flowers. And like, yeah, okay, that's fucking cool. Like, that's a cool thing to do. That's, that is, that is sticking the landing on some of the promise of what virtual spaces could do for us um and so i'm and like so that was the other thing was like one of the final things that was shown was like just an interactive music video and one was like a non-interactive music video i'm super curious to see all of that stuff and like the music the music making tools are all really cool i have no idea if they're going to figure out a way to let people export stuff out of the game i really hope they are outside of just video but like right now you can capture video because it's a P- it's ps4 right but like i really want you to be able to just pull a song you made out of that game or to uh, do some sort of other sorts of like, I would love the world in which you could literally export a PS4 executable somehow, you know, just let it stand on its own to play even for people who don't have dreams or I guess for them to make a dreams version. That's just a browser and play and game playing thing instead of the whole package. But uh, it was really impressive. It was one of my favorite things I saw last week for sure. When is do they have a release date? Do they have anything about when it's coming out? Um, I don't think 
I don't remember one off the top of my head. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and I want to be careful because there's a you know there's a chance that if they did have one, I would be uh, still embargoed on what that. Totally. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So, no worries. Um, did but, they talk about standards for content and how they will be enforcing that? Uh, the the phrase I don't remember. I don't think it was penis catcher. Uh, but it's it was like, less penises that I'm worried about at this point. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so they have they have a history of this, right? Like, I yeah. would feel way more scared about this if this was not a team that had built really strong communities over the last few years. Um, the like last decade now, Medium Medium Molecule has been learning how to do that sort of community moderation. Um, that said, Dreams feels like such a different beast that I could imagine it being such a such a more viable tool for much more vile content given the and less recognizably vile i think you know what i mean like in a platform where like ah here's a hate logo well there's like, like a couple things here right a, which is like yeah yeah like here's a here's a hate logo but like you could build short films in this right, right. um you can you it you just talk into a microphone you know, literally, you can just talk into a microphone and then have that audio or play audio into a microphone. Um, and so – and also, you can just export video, right? You can just hit record, hit play play on a thing and export video. So, like, it could just be a tool set to make short films that do – that say terrible things on top of being – so even if it is a thing where, like, they are blocking stuff from the community, they certainly won't be able to block stuff for people who are just exporting videos, right? Um, so yeah, super, super curious to see what happens there. Um, I think that they'll probably keep the curative spaces, the sort of the online catalog of dream stuff clean. Um, I think I, I'm confident in their ability to do that. Um, but I'm, you're, you're right that like, I think as a tool set, there is something uniquely not troubling, but, but there's a, a deep potential for, for shitty things to be made. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm so. just so excited to hear about this. You know, I mean, I love making shit, and yep. I'm having so much fun in Pico Eight making little garbage games, and that's yeah. really fun and really great. But like something that would allow me to actually make like rich and interesting looking stuff uh, with sort of just what I know. Oh my god, that's I, that sounds like well, a, a drug. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that all of that is within the game because like I think with a lot it's of things wild. like this, it's felt to me like there's this sort of barrier between there are people who have it totally hooked up where they have like professional like asset generation tools like on mm -hmm. their rig and then they are like taking that and putting that into various games and shit. Right. And that always feels like, okay, so there's people who bring professional grade tools and abilities and they can do all this stuff. But like to me within the tools given to me within the, in, within a game or a platform, I don't have anywhere near that flexibility. And I feel like kind of locked out from doing the really good shit that mm -hmm. totally. like the tool set is this flexible from the start. And this comprehensive is, Kind of mind-boggling to me. It's it is. There was just this really funny bit of just it was it was me and another and another judge in this demo together, and we could not stop ourselves from being like. And this is also made in the game. This thing, like yeah. everything on the screen right now, this song is made in the game. They made you made you didn't import this. You didn't. And this animation was okay. This an, you rigged this animation in the game. Yeah. Okay. And you can share the animation. <laughs> oh, in the game, inside the game, in the game. Not we're talking about the it's game. It's in the game. <laughs> Not practice. It's uh, all in the game. 
Uh, so, so yeah, it was, it was just one of those, you know, again, I, I actually think that the interface is probably a thing that will be a hang up for a lot of people. I think the six axis control shit, the, the kind of like point the controller to interact with things was not something I, I really picked up well in the, in the first 40 minutes of fucking around with it. Um, and will take some getting used to. I can, I can, but I can imagine it seeing the, the dev giving me the demo his like intuitive grasp on how to do things really quickly obviously he has hundreds of hours on this platform but so will the people who make the coolest shit um and it might not be me but i can imagine other people getting getting their heads around it but but i do think that for a lot of people it will be like oh this just feels this this part of it doesn't feel good but unlike little big planet i think like the physics all feel good and are all modifiable in a way that they weren't necessarily in some of the little big planet games you know yeah so I, I once actually taught a uh, a college class, a, a like entry level game design class with Little yeah. Big Planet. Like that oh, was nice. the thing we used as the thing. I can only I can only imagine what the possibilities are. Right. With this. Totally. Well, and so like one of the things that I'm excited about is that the way the game is set up is that there are kind of playable tutorials for all of the tools. So, you know, it's a tutorial for setting up a moving platform trigger and logic gate, you know, there's a, you know, and the way that works, like you walk until you hit a gap and then it's like, all right, we'll set up a a moving platform here and here's how you do that. Um, And all the way through all of the tools. So super excited to see how all that, like actually, if, if that stuff could bring me on board, because past games that have had this sort of like oh build your own whatever just don't i'm not that person but if there is a big tool set tutorialization like that's interactive then that actually sounds really good yeah i'm um, excited now <laughs> yeah the opposite of dreams is a game i also played and that is call of duty black Ops. <laughs> i was gonna ask yeah it was a it was a weird week for that reason right like you're playing i played a lot of stuff that ranged bro i mean like even at that event i went over to then play a, a different shooter you know what i mean i went from dreams to then go play a game that was all about guns and so like it's it, your headspace is just it goes through a lot video games are in a place you know <laughs> um i think i like the f- so call of duty black ops 4 for people who don't know first call of duty that won't have a single player campaign um which is a big deal uh it's shipping with Three things is shipping with competitive co-op or sorry, competitive multiplayer, uh, uh, zombies, which I guess is the closest to competitive co-op uh, you can get, uh, and uh, a battle royale mode. They did not have footage of the battle royale mode or of the zombies game, um, and the I got like, but I got like an hour of time with the multiplayer. Um, it is set for people who care about this. It is set despite not having a single player in between Black Ops 2 and 3. <laughs> um, which is to say, like, so 3 is the one that had, like, exosuits and wall running. 2 did not. And there was a moment during this presentation where they were, like, literally addressing the crowd and saying, like, what do you think? Do you think this game has wall running? And the whole crowd goes, no! And then a big no appears on the screen. Wow. I was like, oh my god, what the got fuck, dude? No! <laughs> it was like the fucking minute of hate, man. What? Um, it was wild. And like, that would that to me was I'm the like biggest... I'm like getting vertigo here. I'm yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. Was... So nobody here played Titanfall? Like, so, yeah, I mean, like, 
That's right. This year, we're back to boots-on-the-ground action, just what you love. And that's why we're bringing back the specialists. And this specialist has a grapple gun, which lets him, like, hook onto a wall across the map and fly over the... Wait a second, you're off the ground. Your boots are not on the ground. You're grapple-hooking. Uh, but, like, there was, like, a, a very... That room was such a weird thing to read, because... There was a resent. There was a resentfulness for anything new. Um, God, they announced that for the first time ever. So, you know, these games have had these zombie modes for a while now. The first one was in World at War, Treyarch's uh, Call of Duty Three World at War. Not true. Call of Duty Five World at War. Right, because Four is Modern Warfare. Five is World at War, uh, and that game had a secret Easter egg that was the zombie mode. And since then, all of the zombie modes have by made by Treyarch have been in the same universe, the Ether universe. The Ether universe, the Aether universe. Ether or Aether, who could say? Okay, Austin, do you know this stuff or was this explained to you this week? Like do you go into <laughs> oh, this week with a deep knowledge? I've of read this Wikipedia page fucking... previously, but okay. I was I'd forgotten all of that stuff. I well I had known that there was a division between the different the different modes according to developer, right? Because like other devs have done like weird alien invasion type shit. Um and but but Treyarch has always done this like this is the 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 Aether story that has a big ridiculous backstory about German Nazi like scientists and trying to break into the dark the realm of the other gods the dark gods the the old ones the deep old whatever it I is just, right uh, uh-huh. God damn I had no fucking idea. Yeah, this has been a whole thing for years, okay. this, yeah. and so those people love so the fans love that stuff and so they announced that finally they're going to move on and start a new like universe for the zombie game and there were just like murmurs in the crowd like but what about the aether storyline but what about i was like disappointed that there was going to be this new thing like no one booed mm. there was one little like boo like very quiet <laughs> under their breath <laughs> boo, you know but by and large it'll be louder by thanksgiving yeah, it will be. Well, except, except, so they, they talk about the new mode, they introduce the new characters, and then, or the new, like, setting and the new characters, and they're like, and we got one more thing, besides the, the other two zombie maps we're launching with, we're launching with a third one, and it's one of your favorites. And I was like, oh, and it turned out to be, you know, a, a third zombie map from one of the previous Treyarch zombie modes, and people were stoked for it, and like, that's the thing that brought them back on board zombies. The whole crowd like lit up at this because it was their old fave. Um, and it's just so wild seeing them, seeing that team walk the line between old and new. Um, you know, they opened with by saying like, you know, because you love us so much, we can, we know we can take risks. Uh, we, we know that we're able to, to really get out there and try new things oh because you support the team. And it was like, are you asking permission to take risks? Cause that's what it sounds like. And also it sounds like what you're really saying is the biggest risk we're taking is not shipping with a single player campaign for the first time ever. Cause it wasn't ready for launch. <laughs> like in Miller's Crossing. Like Tommy, we're yes. not animals. Yes. <laughs> we're not, you, we're not like, we're not like these people. Oh my God. <laughs> exactly. Dude, it was wild. Look um, in your heart. <laughs> but You'll let me when... have another zombie mode. <laughs> oh my god! Oh boy, Tommy! Finally, finally, the 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 Miller's Crossing Call of Duty crossover <laughs> that the Cohen brothers always imagine. The Miller's Call of Duty. Uh huh. Like um. It. So we, uh, I didn't get to play the game, and it's good. Like it feels really good. Uh, I haven't played a a multiplayer Call of Duty game in a few years now. Like I, I think the last one I did play was Black Ops Three. 
Um, and like the high level stuff, I don't want to dive too deep into this stuff because it's out there. Uh, but it is a little bit slower paced than Black Ops 3 or than Advanced Warfare, but a little speedier than something like, actually, I don't know if it's speedier than World War II. I didn't play any of the World War II multiplayer, so, um, I, I can't actually say. World War II felt slowed down. Okay. So this also feels, so this feels very influenced to me by Rainbow Six Siege, uh, and by, um, there was something else that reminded me of quite a bit, and now I'm not finding it. Um, well, what's it? I've been interested in that Rainbow Six Siege, because when you say Rainbow Six Siege, yes. that means to me yeah. destructible environments. So, no, and not that. Lots of abilities for characters. Lots of abilities like. for characters. So, okay. it's all the specialists, right? Every specialist has two abilities. Um, one of them is like just a, as a rechargeable item, basically, um, that you could swap out to be a grenade. Or a, a flashbang or something, but but you know that's where you have your specialist who has the cluster bomb, or the specialist who has a grappling hook that lets them zip across the level really quickly, or the specialist that has like the um, the ammo pack that they can toss down. Uh, again, very Rainbow Six Six Siege in that way, um, but it's also like a very tactical feeling game that, that I felt like I was moving as a as a unit way more often than than I've ever done in a Call of Duty game before. Um, I was really you know. I, there, the lone wolf with the shotgun strategy just was not paying off. And obviously this was like a demo with – or this was like a you know a five-on-five five with a bunch of games journalists, not <laughs> pro players who can no-scope you. So I bet that once, you know, once it actually hits, it'll feel different. Um, but one of the biggest changes is there's no automatic healing anymore. Healing is on a button and it recharges. And so you have huh. to like dip behind cover and hit L1 to like inject yourself and start healing. And that is – it feels great to be able to make that decision for yourself instead of just being like, oh, I'm hurt, I'll hide. I'm hurt, I'll hide. Because you only get one heal and then it has to recharge for like 30 seconds or something. Um, and it and it just leads to these like pushes and pulls in a way that I've never felt in a Call of Duty game before, uh, which was really appealing. Um, God, I, I had another comparison at the time that that I just don't have right now. But like, I, you know, I guess it's just any hero-based like not all the way to Overwatch, but like you know, Siege is is similarly like, hey, there are heroes who have healing. This one can heal you. This one can uh, throw, uh, or this one has like an, an area denial stuff. Um, you know, there's a hero who can put down uh, barbed wire to block routes, right? Um, uh, there's a hero who can who has like a an AOE attack that they can do like there's one that's like a fast aoe attack that's their super and there's one that has a very kind of slow aerial denial thing where they just pull like a radioactive like power source out of its out of its casing to do a short range like microwave burst it's terrifying um but like that stuff made the maps that we played feel like really um team oriented and spatial in in terms of like hey shutting things down uh controlling the space stuff like that so i don't know we'll see i'm 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 normally the person who plays call of duty for the for the single player and then puts like 10 hours into a multiplayer into the multiplayer and then never plays it again how did that go over in the room when they're like by the way we're just not doing a campaign this year that like, was like I mean, one of the about... last things they said and yeah. they wrapped and moved on like, you want to go touch the game it's over in the other room go for it uh, Wait, like literally, they're like, "Oh, by the way, no single player campaign." Hey, the demos are open. That's basically the it, what they did. you know. There's like within two minutes of each other, within a minute of each other. It's like, and this is the first year we're, we're launching without a single player campaign, as you may have heard. And blah blah. They didn't confront it in any way. They were never like, "I wish they'd owned it." I wish they'd been like, "Hey, right away up top, a lot of you have read the leaks. We're not going to have a single player game this year, or a single player campaign this year." I mean, they kind of addressed it 
tangentially by talking about how, like, for the first time ever, there's bots in zombies. So if you're a solo player, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> nice. You know, the, the, the multiplayer is going to be built in a way that encourages solo play. The Battle Royale game is going to have solo play, you know? There's no bots in the Ether universe, but... Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I really, I'm so curious about the Battle Royale mode, which is called Blackout. Um, for a couple of reasons. One is just like Battle Royale as a business model is such a different thing than a yearly Call of Duty game. Uh, and then two, uh, it's Call of Duty isn't built for ranges. Call of Duty isn't Battlefield, you know? Um, Call of Duty is like short corridors yeah. and little outcroppings and stuff like that. And like Battle Royale games, we've all played them now, have some mm -hmm. really far encounter distances. Um, and so I I really wish there had been gameplay of that. Hopefully we'll see that later. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we will inevitably, right? Um, so, but I'm curious. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I mean, even that was a moment when they were like, and all your favorite guns from the Black Ops universe are going to be available in Battle Royale mode or in Blackout. And it's like, okay, like, you remember, you remember the first time you got a kill with a remote control car with a bomb attached to it? Well, you can do that in Call of Duty Black Ops Blackout. And I don't, I, I played that game. I got a kill with the, with that, with that remote controlled car bomb. I don't remember it. Um, <laughs> And that's just a me thing to some degree, I'm sure. Do either of you have that sort of connection with any game where you're like, like in terms of the, oh. the gun itself? No, like the no, but like that could make you go. Like I, I'm trying not to be old jaded games journo because I'm not. Like I'm not. I've been here for about, like, the three blink years. Power in Dishonored or something. I, I could see. Yeah, something like, like getting that, a rise maybe. out of you. You know, yeah. first time you used a glue gun to climb over walls you weren't supposed to and pray. <laughs> uh, I, that's I mean, never going to be the marketing thing ever for anything, but, but that would be the equivalent for me, I think. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of games, like, I have a lot of guns that I've loved. You know what I mean? So, like, they're, like that actually <laughs> does. The thread title, The Guns That I've Loved. <laughs> guns yeah. I Have Loved by Robert yeah, Bond. One of us have written, we may have written that. I did actually. I did. I wrote. I wrote a thing about my scathe lock. Uh -huh, I totally wrote an article that's about my was. fucking scathe lock, and uh -huh. I was like, "This is my gun, and I'm in love with her." Um, did you name her Winona? No, she, she sorry, that's a, a Farscape joke. It's oh, right. I was oh, gonna say yeah, that's yeah. some shit I don't know about about Rob. <laughs> it's a stupid Farscape joke. No, it's good. Uh, <laughs> and. Yeah, no, I'd like, but if you if you talk to me, for instance, about like the um, holy shit, I just need you to know, I need to just read this to you because we've wrapped it wrapped around. This is from one. Let me see here, Rob Zachney over oh, on Waypoint. Oh no, the oh, scheme no. block starts out a pretty uh, starts out as a pretty ordinary automatic rifle, like dozens of others in Destiny Two, but it has a secret that you'll discover when you spray rounds down range. As you empty the magazine, the scheme block gets more and more accurate at a point. Uh, at a point in a sustained burst where other guns' recoil effects, recoil effects might be starting to shake uh, you off your target, the scathe lock is laser-focused. Every time you fire this thing, it basically turns into the Tommy gun scene from Miller's Crossing. Oh, oh my no. god. You are the person you are, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> extremely good. Uh, yeah, okay, well, I feel extremely... Um, this is what it means to be seen, Rob. Call of Crossing. I suppose. Yeah, did it. 
Yeah, yeah exposed, uh-huh. I think, is more the, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think the scene, more exposed, <laughs> like a mouse that, like, is caught, that, like, the light has been turned on unexpectedly. <laughs> and I'm big, like, uh-oh. Big piece of cheese in your mouth. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, but, like, like, for instance, if somebody were like, hey, we're bringing back the embarrassingly named Penetrator from Fear, oh, no. uh, right. I'd be like, right. fucking A. Like, right. hell yeah, bring that shit back. Um, so I, like, I do, I do have relationships to special, like, weapons like that. Cool. I'm so glad, I, I I'm glad it. that, like, I, 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 people seemed excited, and I was excited for them being excited, even though it wasn't my excitement. Uh, what I am excited for is I genuinely had a great time playing that game. Like, playing the, the multiplayer, I genuinely enjoyed the feeling of the, of the characters. It did feel slowed down in a way, like, I rolled my eyes when they said it would feel more tactical, and then I played that game and it felt more tactical. So, like, <laughs> that's good on them for having a vision. Um, I, I'm super curious about what that single player game would have looked like. Uh, maybe it'll come out as DLC one day. Who the fuck knows? But but yeah. So that's that's dreams. That's Call of Duty. We can talk about the crew later this week. Kingdom Hearts three is like a very similar thing, which is like I played that demo, um, and it, I'm so happy that people are going to get Kingdom Hearts three. And the roundtable I listened to, where they talked about how it's going to be very very dark and very much about resolution it sounds fascinating but i played that demo and it's just not for me it's just not mine i think a version of that game that was just the cutscenes one after another or the boss fights one after another might be for me is king but of like, dark king of hearts has some shit in it king Hearts. there's okay. the thing where goofy dies that's all i know that's the Wait, only shit thing i was about to make a goofy dying joke does Listen. he seriously die I, I think at some point i'm honestly not sure goofy was in this demo so goofy if goofy was da- dead Goofy is in this game. Goofy's in the key art for Goofy this game. Goofy had a phoenix down? Is that a thing? Phoenix downs are a did thing. Did I do it right? You, yeah, uh-huh. You got oh, thank it. You. Thank um, you. There's some, phoenix there's down. some shit. This, I mean, you know, the, the core conflict of my understanding, my, the, my understanding from a conversation I had with my friend Sean recently, is that the, one of the core conflicts of Kingdom Hearts is that in this world, people have souls. To, to, to be alive is to have a soul. And then someone was like, nah, why? I bet I can make people without souls. Like, stop me. Uh, and it turns out that uh, that leads to some shit. Um, yeah. There's a lot of Keyblade users who are dead. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Um, it has, like, a very m- mythopoetic, you know, backstory. It's a whole thing. Mickey has a Keyblade. I don't... And at the end, you discover Kara. that copyright law is the ah. key to imbuing these characters with soul. God, can I tell you about the most annoying thing that we can move on? Kingdom Hearts 3 fans, uh, we'll look at some, some B-roll that they sent us, and I'll talk about my experience later this week. Can I tell you about the most infuriating thing I saw on, on Twitter yesterday? Hell yeah. Yes, please has do. has nothing to do with anything. Um, so did you see that, that the Kellogg's stuff in Venezuela? Yeah. All right, so... <laughs> Sorry, but I, our listeners probably have not. Okay, yeah, so... What is this? So there's a there is a... So Venezuela is a country in South America. <laughs> okay, I knew that. That Thank is you. a socialist nation uh, that has had some some uh, is, is going into an election. Kellogg's uh, is one of many corporations that believes that 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 election will be or is corrupt. Uh, this is not the venue to debate Venezuela's execution on socialism. It is not the venue to dig into Venezuelan politics. I am not smart enough or knowledgeable enough about this specific case. What I do know is that Kellogg's was like, all right, everyone's fired. We're leaving. Um, in, brought, in Venezuela. In, be- in Venezuela. I see, I see. They, they abandoned a factory. And the 
people who work at that factory were like, no, we're seizing it because there was a law in Venezuela that allows workers to seize abandoned property from corporations uh, and appropriate it for themselves and operate it themselves. And so they did. Um, and the thing that infuriated me, the thing that was like, not infuriated, but like was just so wild to see is one of the responses on a Twitter chain about this from someone who doesn't follow me, so a completely random person, was just like, they, so the, the video was like of the first box of, of cornflakes being, being put out on the, on the conveyor belt. Hey, look, we did it. We took over this factory. We're producing cornflakes. We have three months of, of raw materials. We should keep making this food because people eat cornflakes, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And one of the responses was like, um, why doesn't Kellogg stop them from using the brand? <laughs> and like, God! you can't imagine a different world. You literally, <laughs> these people cannot imagine a world in which... Brands and copyright. This is because Rob brought up copyright and Disney and blah blah blah. Like yeah. you cannot. It was here. Here it was. Here it was. Literally. Here's the actual tweet. Is can you guys explain to me why they're still able to use the brand? And it's like because who was going to stop them from using the brand? The Venezuelan police are not going to like roll in on behalf of Kellogg's who left the country and be like, y'all can't use those boxes that they left behind. They want Interpol to go in, <laughs> seize that rooster. Seize that rooster. Yeah, X the rooster off the box. Like, what the fuck? I just, it's one of those things of just, like, your political imagination. The the political imagination is so limited that laws around things like trademark and copyright feel like natural laws. Like, it feels like, no, you can't use that rooster. That's Kellogg's rooster in the same way that (laughs) if I drop this bottle of Tylenol, it will fall to the ground. That's just what happens. And I think, like, there's this element behind a lot of that stuff is on some level, people know that there's all these restrictions and rules they have to observe. They have no choice but to observe them. Yes. And – Or they have a choice, but that choice will be if, – if you don't observe – if you and I don't observe the Kellogg's Rooster Law uh, of 1922, um, <laughs> we, will be, we will be seized. We are the ones whose stuff right. will be seized. But – so on some level, people are like, well, I, I feel like there's this element of like almost resentment that underlies a lot of that stuff, where it's like, no, you can't fucking do that mm-hmm. because like these are the rules. These are the rules that I live under, and if I'm living under them, everyone needs to live under these like yep. because those are – that's the way things are, and if other people can break those rules, then like, my god. It's almost like, what's the good of me following those rules? I'm getting screwed here. And nobody makes the leap into like, well, how many of these rules are just bullshit and like serve to, you know, uphold shitty people and organizations. But instead, it's this really protective, like, I can't imagine what exists beyond those institutions. So I'm going to get weirdly protective of them. Right. I now identify with the arbitrary rules of our corporate (sighs) uh, legal structure. It's exhausting. Um, it's exhausting. And, and thank you for, for letting me have this moment of, of complaint. Uh, we shot with something else that was not had nothing to do with, with me. Uh, I would love to hear from you, Danielle, because uh-huh. it sounds like you've gone on a journey. Oh, I sure have. I was out last week, and I kept seeing you talk about a game called Assemblance. Assemblance Oversight, which and is... Yeah. Yes, yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was like, and then I like that was one thing. I was like, oh, she seems like she's having a good time with this game. And then you were like, I'm joining Discord servers about assemblance. And I was like, Danielle, are you? I'm gonna learn what happened for real. And I was like, Danielle, are you okay? 
It, it I'm was an objectivist now. <laughs> oh, God. God. No. There's only one type of dragon. No, that were going to happen. The witness would have done it. The witness would have done it. I mean, look, you have my permission to to put me out of my misery if I ever come at you with objectivism is real. Okay. Like, just, oh my god, it's you. a semblance. <laughs> it is a semblance. A equals a, Rob. Um, so wait, tell god. me about a semblance. Tell me what a, well, I, I missed this completely. I missed All what right. a semblance was. So please right. bring me on board your 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 whatever this is called. My journey. Your my journey. journey. My beautiful journey. So okay. It's a semblance oversight that I'm playing now. It is the sequel to a game called Assemblance from about two years ago. It was like a minor streaming phenomenon because it is a, a 3D exploration puzzle game where the entire fiction is you are either a scientist or an investigator. It's not really super important. You kind of find out a bit about yourself as you go through. You know, much like life, you learn about yourself through the mm-hmm. journey. Uh, it's like you first go into a machine. PC? It's first person. It's first person. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay. And... You, the entire fiction is that there is a machine that recreates memories, like entire snippets of memory, basically, okay. or it recreates places and events. Uh, and you go through them and explore them and interact with elements in them to kind of further the story. So it's a really cool concept. Uh, and this game sort of goes off of that and actually has a way more interesting and cool story. The first one was kind of this, not to, I won't, I won't spoil anything, but it kind of plays on a cliche that is like, all right, okay, maybe somebody mm. didn't spend enough time with their family, and okay, you know, I, I mean, understand. So what, what is the, can you explain the vibe of these games a little bit to me? Is it like, um, yeah. is it horror? Is it... A little bit? It's sci-fi, more mindfuck like, sci-fi. It is okay. mindfuck sci-fi gotcha. all the way. It's You're going into the memory machine. You're going to find out some weird shit. This one is way more psychedelic. I really wish you one. were the narrator of this game, or like your character's <laughs> boss. You're going to go into the mind machine. <laughs> You see some weird shit. I mean, you do actually have an AI companion for the first couple of hours of this game who is mm. just sort of like, well, I'm going to try to keep, you know, the man off of you while you try to figure out some shit. <laughs> it's like, not literally, but it's, that is very I'm much gonna, I'm going to try to keep the man off of you while you dig into your memory of the Kellogg's logo. Yeah, basically, keep the man <laughs> away from the rooster. <laughs> like, it's very, <laughs> mm, okay. very good. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah this one okay. is very, the vibe is very psychedelic. Cold War era paranoia, secrecy, space program, like 70s and 80s space program kind of shit is going on. So uh, to to keep it really, really simple, the vague uh, sort of bits of story you get at first are very much there was some kind of signal and a team of scientists recreated this signal and it appeared to be a bunch of memories. And so Ooh. you and your team had to go in and figure out whether this, is this was... Sem- this is a semblance oversight. I just want yes. to be 100%. A A-S-E-M-B-L-A-N-C-E. Okay. Yes. Yes, correct. Uh, and you and your team have to go in and figure out what those memories mean. Is it a signal from aliens? Is this a weird Cold War era propaganda thing from the Soviet Union? What is going on here? There are weird coordinates that we're finding all over the place. What does that mean? So it's, it, that's kind of the the vibe. It's like a lot of like CRTs in, in like gotcha. a, a science office. And then it's also very psychedelic. So you see a lot of abstract imagery, especially where it regards this this uh, anomaly that they're not sure what the origin is. So mm. you see a lot of psychedelic stuff, a lot of um, like the big head that is made of dots. I don't know how to put this. Like it's like a 3D head, a human head made, made of, of dots. Like, 
dots like, and flashing lights and stuff like you know like, very, a, like, a, like a holographic head like what yes, is it a holographic okay. head that is exactly it but with that sort of pixelated look to it that mm. it's made of 3d dots as if you it was yeah. like a dot matrix printer yeah but i get you 3d okay yeah sorry to go on no, with no, that no, i get you now I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah no i saw i saw holographic head open for lit once so there you, you know. go there you go. Um, <laughs> there you go. What? Uh, it's, so it's a lot of that stuff. And so the first couple of hours of the game, it's a little bit more straightforward. You have an okay. AI companion. You have puzzles that you solve that are pretty, you know, fairly straightforward. Here Can you, you get a flashlight okay. that allows you to now go to this other room so because adventure, it was too dark. Adventure gamey style puzzles. Very much so. Very okay. much so. Without, you know, needing to have uh, a, an interface or anything. It's much simpler than that. It's much more organic than that. You just have sort of prompts to interact with things. Uh, and and you kind of go through the game the first couple of hours, the first couple of endings, like that. Oh, wait, is that, it has, like, multiple endings? Many endings, yes. Oh, so, so this isn't just, like, okay, in my mind, what you were describing was, like, Walker, walking sim- Walker Simulator 2018? Austin, Walker, Austin Simulator. Walker Simulator 2018. Yes. Yes. Where you just wake up and you feel like shit, and you're just like, let me stream <laughs> some video games, I guess. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Uh, uh, no, but I was thinking it was like very much in the in the walking simulator vein, or or in the first person narrative story driven vein of like, um, uh, 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 what was the the game that you played last year? Um, oh my god, uh, the people really like the cyberpunk one that I never got around to. Observer? Oh, observer. observer, observer. I was thinking very much in the observer vein. Um, or in the Tacoma or the Tacoma vein, I didn't realize there were like multiple endings, many endings. And that's where the game really, really nicely kind of, there's definitely a point where you progress, you progress, you progress, you find maybe an ending or two. Uh, and then the game lets you kind of go into free roam mode, in which case you are free to explore all over the place. There's not really a direct progression at that point. That is a hundred percent. Do you want to fuck around and find a bunch of secrets? Or are you done? Did you get what you needed? Did you get this sort of, you know, enough of the story, enough of the atmosphere, enough of the puzzles to be like, I had fun, I'm done now. Okay. It, there's like a, de- a definitive point there. Couple now, questions still. Yes, One, yes, go on. I'm, I'm, I swear I'm not trying to harp on the endings thing. No, it's okay. Multiple, multiple endings. Are you getting those just by like... This playthrough gets this ending, and then my second playthrough, I'll get a different ending. Or are there choices, or... So, let's put it Is that a spoiler? No, it's not a spoiler exactly. The nature of reality changes in this game. Let's put it that way. Okay. The nature of reality changes, and towards the end of a sort of, like, you know, everyday playthrough, the regular progression of the game, sort of the first ending or so, you learn that you can shift reality in certain ways you can do certain events interact with certain things that say make the whole world tinted red and pixelated gotcha you can make the whole world tinted a different color and with a different filter in sort of those shifts certain other things will change in the world so it's almost as if there are like six general rooms in this game and you can shift them a number of ways and little things will change yeah, I in get each you. permutation. I got you okay. So it's like, okay. in this world, I, this is complete bullshit. I haven't played this game. Right, right. It's like, <laughs> there's a flashlight on the table. and this one, there isn't. On this, in this yes. version of it, there's some, some shit written on the wall or written in, on a whiteboard. On this version, there isn't. Or like, yes. or whatever. In this and one, there's an alien or something. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's nicely 
relatively organic. I know that doesn't sound like much of an organic process, but it'll be like one of the main things to, to make this more concrete is an office. It is the assemblance office for right. the si- team of scientists who made this machine or are using this machine and different documents, you know, something different will be on the computer in like a right, different room right. or a different letter or a different uh, picture, like photograph with different coordinates on it that, hey, Maybe if you dive real deep into the ARG elements of this uh, at 2 a.m. on a Friday, you might be on, uh, you know, looking up old NASA photographs from the 70s and uh, seeing where those coordinates lie. Wait, so wait, what are doing things like that? That happened so quick. That happened one second. We were talking about a red (laughs) pixelated filter, and now you're looking at NASA photos. What what is the mechanism for pulling you from the former? What is the thing that makes you go like, all right, I'm done? Like a cool story, and then like moving on with your life to NASA photos and private secret discords for your group of of mystery solvers. See, so if you're me, I, I can only speak for myself. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, yeah. I I just know what my brain is like. I had so much fun with this game, uh, and I started looking for some of the secrets before I wrote. Uh, I wrote a piece last week about it. Uh, and I sort of, I described some of that shift where I was like, I was like a little reticent to kind of really jump in. I was like, no, you know, I'm having fun with the atmosphere and the story and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And I just kept thinking about, but what if I try this? Mm-hmm. What if I shift to red and I try X, Y, and Z? What if I try the shift to red and I only try X and Y and I leave Z out? Right. That kind of like, what if... Uh, aspect of it and the sort of it almost feels like science you're testing hypotheses all the time with what you interact with and you know 90 percent of the time nothing happens but sometimes something really mind-blowing will happen and a giant head will talk to you and sing (laughs) to you and give you new abilities in the game and shift reality in a radical way so wait so wait are yeah. you just – the thing you're describing, is that you just deciding to do that stuff and, like, go down the, like, oh, I'll try this? Or or is that – are you going – are you leaving the game to do research and then coming back in with information to do At just something first, different? I just had a lot of ideas. Okay. And I went back in and I great, tried some of them. Great opening line to a novel, by the way. At first, <laughs> I just had a lot of ideas. Fantastic. <laughs> That's most of my life, you Love know? It. Um, yeah, so at first it really was just me sort of thinking about it, being outside of the game and thinking about it and being mm-hmm. like, oh, what if I go back in? After a couple of hours of sort of experimentation and maybe getting somewhere, I actually streamed uh, the other day a little bit and right. we found some cool things. We found like kind of a new aspect to one of the rooms mm. or, or one of the sort of things. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. I found a thing. After a few hours of not finding a whole lot of things, I was like, what if, what if I just dip my toe in? What if I just see if I can maybe find some hints? You know, it's not going to be like an FAQ. And what's really cool about this, uh, and it reminds me actually of playing Fez the week that Fez came out because I was I was sort of there and in, in gotcha. it in a right, way right. when, you know, it was revealed that like, oh, all those glyphs are actually a language. And so then I started translating for myself, like what those what that language could mean and, and sort of going through the symbols. And it was really fun to kind of be in it in that way. Mm-hmm. Not at the forefront of the community finding this stuff by any means, but like just on the fringes of that and seeing what was happening there and sort of making discoveries on my own because of those hints. They were out there, you know, if that makes sense. And so I've been doing that with this, where I joined a Discord, the sort of fan Discord, uh, for the various shift discussions. That's just what it's called for, like, you know, finding the different ways of shifting the world, basically. Right. Uh, And, you know, there's a Google Doc that gives you 
it's written in such a way that I, I really appreciate this. Uh, it's written in such a way that it doesn't like give everything away, but it'll like get you on the right path for a mm-hmm. lot of things. Uh, and there are folks in there in the Discord who will give you hints. And they will say, do you want me to spell certain things out for you? Or do you want like a hint to, to get you on the right direction, on the right path to doing X, Y, or Z? Uh, which has been really cool. That and uh, it's been really wild and fun to watch the discussion of the really, really, really sort of wilder stuff. There are a couple of real world locations that human beings are going to actually go to in the world in, you know, <laughs> on see, planet Earth and see if something is hidden there. <laughs> I guess that's the part where I'm like... When does the game direct you outwards? Because like it sounds like there's almost like ARG type stuff happening here, where yeah. like it sounds like a lot of the mystery centers around these shifts that are in game. Yes, but they are. When is the game directing you like to say like okay, actually the answer is yeah, like archival NASA photos or something. There is a direct hint, uh, and I think it's like written in game language of like we need to use the intranet. <laughs> to find out a certain yeah. thing that is very much like pointing you towards okay. what this is. Um, and it, and of course, all of this, like it behooves you to be in a community where somebody has a piece of knowledge, a, somebody has a piece of knowledge, B, somebody has a piece of knowledge, C. So you can kind of put it all together. Uh, the, what is it? It's the Henry Jenkins thing. The information communities, I think like concept. Uh, of like this is how this is one of the good uses of the internet basically of mm-hmm. like <laughs> people can actually put a lot of things together people with very different types of expertise and knowledge can put shit together and a lot of brains working on this thing means we're capable of really incredible things which also makes me think of like speed running the way people find glitches the way people sure. find roots like it's it's a lot of minds working on a thing and there's something really cool and interesting about being part of that uh that i'm not usually a part of of course i'm usually just sort of admiring that from the outside right right uh and I, it's not again i am not like at the forefront of finding the secrets here, <sighs> but it is really fun to be in that discord in real time and see things being discovered and see people uh finding these secrets and, and sort of figuring out oh that's what this meant and that's what right. this meant and it's just a lot of fun. I think it adds to the game, uh, but I do think it's to the game's credit that you can absolutely play those first couple of hours, really enjoy it, and have like a much more traditional kind of like puzzle, you know, walking simulator puzzle experience and enjoy that. Uh, but right. if you if you want to dig in, if you want to be a little assemblance scientist, <laughs> you can totally go in and enjoy that as well. So, did either of you play the Secret World? Oh yeah. So do you remember those? Um, those quests in the secret world, the ones that like required some Googling. Yep. Uh, What did you think about those? Either of you? (laughs) I I never played this. I'm curious. Oh, those were fucking awesome. Like, do you want to explain to you what those are? Yeah. Uh, So the secret world is, it's an MMO, but it's very, uh, it's very well written. I think Ragnar Tornquist did a lot of the writing for at least the launch version of the game. So it's got a, uh, heavy doses of Stephen King and Lovecraft Whoa. and all that stuff. But in addition to you doing like traditional MMO stuff, there are a lot of puzzles uh, in the game. And it starts out by throwing like riddles at you uh, and some like, you know, some logic puzzles that like, it's very brave. Like the game, there are some major quests where the game basically like comes to a complete halt until you solve it. Like you can continue on with main quest line stuff, but you know you're missing stuff. And so you will stop and start trying to solve these uh these, you know, tertiary puzzles. As the game goes on, it starts referring back to more 
stuff that's external to the game. Like a very telling feature of the Secret World is there's an in-game browser. Uh, right. You are meant to. I, forgot. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, you're meant. You, you are meant to log on uh, for, while you are within <laughs> the Secret World. And uh, I think uh, Cass Marshall wrote a bit about this uh, for us when she wrote about mm-hmm. the Secret World last year. Uh, but there are some quests that they're, they're kind of two flavors. Uh, they generated a lot of like ARG style lore outside of the game. And so right. there are videos on YouTube about fictional characters, like giving presentations. There's like uh, lectures from fictional characters within the world of Secret, uh, Secret World that you like need to go look up. And then there's also puzzles that I think rely on just more general like Google Foo, like accessing like just very various obscure pieces of knowledge and learn like figuring out how to relate those back to what the game's talking about and then solving the puzzle that way. I thought that stuff was really, really cool. Like my partner and I were playing the Secret World uh together. Ooh. And so it was a lot of fun to basically drop what we were doing. And sort of sit down and be like, okay, what, what, what's the game asking here? What, right. what are we supposed to do? I think it's awesome. Yeah, there, it was really cool. I mean, I, 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 you know, remember one mission that was very much like, or one riddle was, they start with things that like, oh yeah, you could, you could probably figure this out. Where it's like, oh, this is a reference to Vivaldi. I bet the password is Vivaldi. And like, oh yeah, it is awesome. Um, but then you know, there was one, another one fairly early where they just give you some Morse code to decode. Yeah. Um, and it's like. Oh shit! All right, I gotta get a pen and pad out. And like, this isn't a game where I'm also worried about my skill selection for melee combat or whatever. Um, that stuff was really cool. I remember it kind of bouncing off of the fan base at the time because, unlike, not bouncing. Maybe the fan base didn't bounce off of it, but it was it was not long before I just saw solutions being passed out. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like because there are people for whom that was not the fun. Right, but right. they just want just the fair. XP and the quest solutions. Yeah, and there's, yeah. And there's cool nuggets of story buried behind a lot of that stuff. Like, True. You're going True. around solving some, I think, some old murders. Uh, there's, I mean, like, so the game opens. Danielle, this is this is so your kind of game. Uh, yeah, the game it opens like it in the most <laughs> New England-ass, like, coastal oh. fishing village. Yeah, it's like... It's overrun, like, this Lovecraft nightmare. And yes. it is all people with glorious flavors in New England accent. Yes. Um, and it's it's a gorgeous game. Like I still think this is a hauntingly beautiful game. Um, but the th- the thing about it is, it's also like every location has lots of like buried secrets because the yeah uh, the sort of conceit of this game is a bit like Deus Ex. All conspiracies are real and always have been. Um, <laughs> every conspiracy theory basically is legit. And right. so there's centuries God. of buried secrets as the various factions of the Illuminati, the Templar, uh, have sort of battled throughout history. The, and the dragon, the, the least memorable. Well, the dragon are, they don't fit into the classic, like what, like the commonplace Western, like, oh, it's the right. Templar versus in the Illuminati battling it out. The dragon are very cool. They're very, um, like, wi- like I was very uh, Illuminati. Mm-hmm. Like the the opening, they have this great opening video uh, where basically they're justifying their amorality, and yeah. uh, the woman who's introducing you to the Illuminati is the world is not a good place, and you either do or you get done. Yeah, and at that oh, point we were very deep- New York, very uh, yeah. yeah, very like late eighties New York vibe from the Illuminati. It's very good. Well, also we hit that right as like 
it was a minute to midnight in grad school, basically, for right, my partner sure. at that point. Sure. And so that was a weirdly empowering message uh, at that <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so it's 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 very cool. It's it's got all that stuff. There's there's lots of good lore nuggets. But I totally understand where people would eventually hit a point where it's like, look, if I'm soloing this, I'm not having this yeah. great collaborative puzzle solving experience. I just want the fucking answer so I can figure out like who murdered so and so in the right. year 1602. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I totally get it. Um, in any case, Danielle, are you yeah. gonna stay in this community? Are you gonna keep oh, trying yeah. to figure out puzzles? <laughs> yeah. It's it's so much fun. It's just so much damn fun. I'm probably gonna, you know, maybe knock the Discord uh, from like towards the top to, you know, something I just check in on every now yeah, and then. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but there's still secret stuff. There's still right. a lot of secrets to plumb. And I also just really enjoy being in this world. It's a lot of fun. It's trippy. It's mindfuck sci-fi, which is of course a thing that exactly I love. Exactly your shit. Yeah. It's also beautiful. It's also like really gorgeous and beautiful. There are areas where I have just sort of put the controller down and just listened mm. to the music and took in like the really pretty nice. atmosphere. So it's it's a cool ass game. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere for me, so I was I was really pleased. Really really pleased. So yeah, semblance oversight. Is a cool semblance name. oversight. There we go. That is the name. <laughs> See, I thought awesome. it was about like assembling stuff, but me, I was like, why I, didn't they do yep. two S's? But it's about semblance. Yeah. yeah See, there you go. It's both. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, uh, Rob, you told me you have a battle tech thing to talk to me about, but it, I feel weird. You didn't about say something. the word robot at all, and now no, I'm very confused. I didn't. No max involved in your story. I don't know. No. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back, and you can talk to me about battle tech. 
from what she says. She watched this one show, Uncle Heiner's Experiment World, live-action STEM edutainment program from the Lyran Commonwealth. It started airing just after my 19th birthday. You may have seen it. It ran for three seasons before it was canceled. The host was a tattooed, chain-smoking nihilist who taught children the magic of chemistry. You know, making thermite with aluminum cans and a belt sander. That kind of thing. And then you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. You, you liked that guy? And she says, I married him. Long story. Wait. Okay. How- so... I just want you to know I got this dialogue and I just didn't register. I was just like, oh, haha, moving on. What is it? This is, is it's that a super, direct reference? It super feels like, like it super feels like a call out to Beekman's world. Like that's, she's not talking about Bill Nye. That's not how you would describe it. She's not. Him. I knew she Be- was not talking about Bill Nye. I just, I didn't have the Beekman's world pool on, on deck. I was yeah. like, not Mr. Wizard, not Bill Nye, the science no, guy. It, Must be a fake Battletech thing that I don't know about because I haven't read enough novels. No. It's this is the first I'm fucking hearing of it, but the minute she describes the show, I'm like, oh, that's just like an extreme Beekman's world. Like, oh, that's cute. Like, cute, cute shout out to like a forgotten, like, uh, not quite children's uh, science show, but yeah, you, you get you get my drift. And then she married him, <laughs> and, hmm. and it went real bad. And she's like, but the important part is, six months before the annulment, I learned that I had a real talent with machines. Oh my god. Yeah. Why? Well, <sighs> Okay, yeah. listen. Stuff didn't work out with Beekman. His name was Beekman. Dr. Beekman, I'm guessing. He's Beekman. Dr. Beekman. <laughs> Wait, he yeah. doesn't have a doc. He doesn't even have a doctorate? He yeah. doesn't have... What does he do? What is he? I, I don't think he went by Dr. Beekman. I mean, he's Beekman. I mean... Now I'm like looking this shit up. I need to know. Yeah, there's no implication that, that Beekman is... He like, has a master's wh- degree, okay? He's not Dr. Beekman, but he did go to higher, you know... Okay. He got an advanced degree. For what? Chemistry. Okay. Did that come with the green lab coat, or did he buy that separate? I think he got a regular lab coat, and he, uh, in a lab accident, it became green. I see. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm this kind is- of... Uh-huh. It's a weird character detail. Like, it is such a weird, like, my first Listen, reaction to it Beekman was like... Beekman uh, deserves love, too. Dr. Farrah loves Beekman. Well, <laughs> did she? She had it annulled. She, she, Maybe it she loved bad. his show as a teenager. And okay, then she married him. There's a right. weird, there's a weird aspect to this whole story that I'm like... Someone, what's the character's, what's the fake Beekman's name? Uh, Heiner. Heiner's okay. experiment world. <laughs> wow! Someone should arrest Heiner. Is what I'm. Someone should this look is, into Heiner. Heiner, don't look, don't sleep with your fans. She was just she was watching the show when she was 19. So like, okay, she wasn't a kid. She maybe, didn't grow up maybe, with Uncle Heiner, but right, right, but still, it's weird. And I mean, it's That's it's weird. hilarious. Like it is like if Murad is a great character, and like yes. she does, she is a cool mad scientist aboard your ship. Uh-huh. Uh, who definitely gets up to like fun hijinks as she sort of fucks around with this uh, ancient starship. But that is such an amazingly... It is such a bizarre it's a, it's side a note for the character. Yeah. I don't like that his name is Uncle Heiner. No. I want to put that out Dude. there. I don't like it. That's a little... She married little Uncle Freudian. Heiner. I also don't like that he's teaching how to make IEDs. 
Wait, is that what I he kinda does? I kind of do. I kind of like that. That's, it's very in, in character for Battletech, I guess. Well, he's teaching he's well, teaching man. people about thermite. Like, look, you don't you do right, not get fair. very far into at home chemistry before you discover how to make thermite. <laughs> Whether you're doing well or not, you're going to make something that explodes at some point. Yeah, and the thing is, you actually like in any sort of education around this stuff, you actually do need to surface like here's how stuff explodes because you do right, not want sure. kids to like. Okay, it's important you understand about what happens when something turns into an aerosol like dispersed powder, right? And uh, right. the various ways that changes combustible properties. That's important for kids to know if they're going to get into science. I agree. I agree that it's important for kids to know how explosions. You know, that's yes. that's just a safety first thing. But also, right. like, be very skeptical of entering a long-term relationship or marriage with, in a situation where there was, like, a clear Asian power dynamic issue. Also, I'm just going to say anyone who calls themselves uncle anything. Yeah, that's a, no that's one, a great... You know... What if I called myself uncle? If you were like, "Hey kids, it's me, Uncle Uncle Danielle," I want to be clear: nothing to do with gender difference between Uncle and the name Danielle. Nothing at all. all right, no all right. one who says my name is Uncle whatever is trustworthy. <laughs> all right, all right. That's all right. on. I'm putting it down on paper. <laughs> on podcast paper. On podcast paper. <laughs> hmm. All right. Any other BattleTech updates from you, Rob? Still going well? Uh, yeah, it's going real well. Uh, I actually, I was getting a little frustrated with the uh, mechs I was sort of recovering doing mm. the missions. So, like, the way the game guides you to, like, travel contracts, but it's always trying to keep you, like, with the Arano restoration. Yes. I finally decided to go on tour. I was like, nice. we are going to go Fuck all this. around this part of the periphery, and we're just going to see what we can see. And that's where the good mechs are, Austin. That's where <laughs> oh, they are at. The Arano stuff will give you some good mechs eventually, too. Eventually. Uh, so you got to grind a lot of fucking missions. I got through, I got to, I returned to Smithen, and there's like a return to Smithen set of missions yeah. that are very good, and they give you really good shit. And now I have enough stuff that I'm now doing what you're doing, and like, doing stuff over here, doing stuff over there, working with the, with the House Steiner a little bit, working with the, what's the, the Sun ones, what do they call the Federated Suns? Sons? Yeah, yeah work with the Federated Sons, you know, trying to see what I can get. I definitely um, also hit a point where I'm like, I have now internalized enough of the morale system and order of play mm. stuff where, like, I am just buzzsawing through enemy <laughs> forces. And, like, maybe it's a little broken, but I'm not going to complain. Like, I'm really enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, totally. Good. You're a great mercenary captain, you know? Sometimes yeah. you're just good. That's what the morale system is supposed to indicate, you know? Yeah, everyone's really happy. Awesome. I'm, I'm we cool uh, we didn't do Battletech this week because of me being sort of sick and not in a place to do two streams today. Um, yeah. uh, because I did a different stream this morning. I played some State of Decay 2, and I want to talk about that because we have a really great question that came in today uh, from Michael, formerly from New Zealand, now in London. Michael oh. says, and if you have a question, you can uh, always send that in to us at gamingadvice.com with the subject question. We'll take a look at that. Uh, and, and maybe yours will be the next one on the next episode. So this one comes in from Michael, who says, I was listening to your episode about your top 10 games of all time recently, and the part about which games you liked that you couldn't see being on anyone else's list made me think of something. 
Do you have any games that are objectively bad, but because they were so open and empty, they gave you the chance to, uh, they gave you the space to build ideas and narratives that you remember and enjoy? I know good games do this, Crusader Kings 2 or some Total War games at their best, for example, but I'm specifically thinking of bad games, where it was more of an accident than a design feature. An example uh, will probably help explain what I mean. I have a soft spot for Master of Orion 3, a game so legendarily bad that most (laughs) fans of the series refuse to acknowledge it exists. Master of Orion 1 and 2 are the definitive Space 4X games, uh, and in 3, they tried to go for something broader, to sit, you, uh, to sit you another peg or two up the chain of command, so that rather than managing every individual ship and building on a planet, you were setting policy decisions across your entire empire and focusing more on the galactic level. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Pretty much every system was either meaningless or completely incomprehensible. And that's not even counting the parts that were actively bugged or broken. But because everything was so zoomed out, and because you had sorry, and because you had a million toggles that did functionally nothing, it meant that you could make up your own stories for why you were doing things rather than them being in any way mechanical. My ground invasions were always surprise attacks. Not because that was effective, but I clicked that button a couple of times in a row and then started imagining that my general had gotten a reputation they decided to lean into, all because they were a habitual early riser and had eventually molded my civilization's entire combat strategy around that impulse. I sent spies into the weird parasite alien race civilization, not because it did anything anything I could tell, but because they were terrifying and I wanted to know the second that they so much looked at my dire- looked in my direction. My emotional investment in that game was helped by two things. Firstly, it had the best manual I've ever seen in a 4X game, which not only counted the first two Master of Orion games as canon, but also provided an interesting narrative explanation for why all of these races were starting off in their home world to conquer the galaxy for the third time. Also, I grew up in New Zealand, and in the pre-digital storefront days, games price, game prices were obscene. Paying $120 for a game, about 12 hours of work at my part-time job at the time, is a great way to ensure you squeeze all the enjoyment you can out of it. So, team, do you have any games that are, that are too bad to actually recommend to anyone, but that you still have a lot of fond memories of because of the narrative space they gave you to build your own stories? I'm nervous that your uh, segue into this letter was about State of Decay 2. I'm just going uh, so to I, I, of K2 is like a real Austin Walker game in that I'm having a hard time figuring out if I can recommend it to people. Um, mm. I really like it. Um, and as always, I think the role of the critic is to sometimes is to provide consumer advice. Sometimes is to provide the sort of criticism that pushes a medium forward and addresses the craft of, of, of uh, art. Um, you also got to let and, people but, know how many hours per dollar. You also ask, of course, hours per dollar. Uh, of course, that's God. my number one. Um, yeah, well, I mean, sir, I do think that there is a place for the sort of criticism that is about consumer, not advocacy, but in, in you know, information. It's just not the sort of criticism I want to do. Uh, and often the sort of criticism I like doing is about figuring out my own fucking tastes and figuring out why a thing is a thing I like. Um, and kind of unpacking my relationship with something and, and my experience. And Save the K2 is a game, I, there's an impressions video up uh, right now, youtube.com slash Waypoint Vice, um, that kind of digs into the fun I'm having with that game. And so much of it is stuff that I'm bringing to the table. Um, our uh, Waypoint uh, family friend, uh, Nick, Nick is Nick, over on Twitter, mm-hmm. made a really great tweet. Did you see this tweet, Rob? No, I'm just... Are you wearing... just... Oh, wait, are you saying not a friend? I think friend is... A dubious. Oh. Wow, he's, he's oh an boy. associate. Jeez, associate what? friend. 
yeah, I didn't know it was like that with poor, poor Nick. Um, oh, Nick. What did Nick do? I don't know. Yeah, that's, well, I think subterfuge probably. Oh, I see. Um, Nick made a tweet yesterday that was, I've seen very little in State of Decay 2 about how it over relies on procedural generated storytelling and doesn't have enough plot hooks. The first one was pretty good about giving you a main through line as well about, as well as allowing for proc gen stories. But I can tell you one way to get bored with, with a game like this is, or a game like that is to make the storyteller all player push and not game pull. You gotta balance it out a bit. And I'm here to say, no, tweet. you fucking don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's because I'm me, right? Like, and y'all know me. I am the person who is going to come up with a ridiculous backstory for my Stellaris race. I'm the person who is going to, in State of Decay 2, make a team of former fast food workers. And and even though the game hasn't decided that they're actually friends, I've decided that, like, oh, they all work different different uh different parts of the of the one of them is a has the fast food worker trait, one of them has the the delivery driver trait, one of them has the waitress trait. Like, oh, they definitely worked at a restaurant together. Um, and that's just like who I am as a person. And State of Decay 2 is such a good palette for someone like me to dive into it and start telling my own stories um and and to to enable me to do that it provides so many little pieces and so many colors and so many uh, uh kind of variables to plug into each other in interesting ways um i guess high level Save Decay 2 comes out tomorrow. It's on the Xbox One. <laughs> it's on the, the, the PC. It's cross-buy. So, you know, it's a Microsoft first-party game, which means if you buy it, it shows up on both platforms. Um, it's cross-play. And it is a survival action kind of base-building game, sort of. Um, you are in a zombie apocalypse, and your goal is to survive and to set up a successful camp and destroy these things called plague hearts, which are bringing a kind of modified, terrible version of the zombie plague that can not only – the regular zombie plague in this world, it, the way it works is when you die, you become a zombie. The infection is the, – the, the blood plague will just kill you and turn you into a zombie in a matter of hours once you contract it. And so Oof. your goal is to destroy these special things called plague hearts that are producing these red-eyed, super bad zombies. Um, and to do that, you need to build a base and, and you know – build a community and each member of the community and you, you don't pick one character you kind of play as as a, as a set of characters in your community all have traits and characteristics right so uh, i played this morning with on on steam or on steam jesus on uh Honey, you played on steam on i stream. played on steam on i didn't play on steam because it's not on steam it's on oh. it's on the microsoft the windows store or whatever I, right? Right, right, right um but I, I played this morning, and I'll just tell you who my opening character group was. Uh, and if you're interested, if this sounds interesting to you, you should go watch this stream. Uh, because it turned out very, very good. Uh, uh, there was... Um, uh, <laughs> let's start with Aaron. Aaron Gray, who is a, a political canvasser. Uh, she has the immortal trait. Um, Sorry. Which means... Yeah, she's the immortal trait, which when you like look at the flavor text, you're just like, there is nothing in this world that can fucking kill me. I'm, an, I'm invincible. And she isn't, but she does have like 50 more health than either of my other characters and is more resistant to, to, uh, injuries. Like she still gets injured, but it, um, when she does get an injury, it doesn't drop her maximum health as, badly as it does most other characters right so if she inhales gas or she gets her if she gets like hit in the head and gets a concussion or whatever it just doesn't bug her as much as it would bug other people um and then she's heavy hitter so she's just like 
this uh, her special skill is political science like she was a political science major in school and has done some canvassing for 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 uh political campaigns and so like she gets bonuses when she talks to other neighboring societies other neighboring uh, uh survival camps um so it's her her name's Erin Gray there is Devin Cook who is a Shakespearean actor who hates to be alone and is an idealist. And I fucking love the idealist trait in this game because it just means that he constantly is at a negative to morale because he thinks things could be better. He's like, this is our chance. Like one of his, the things is like, Oh my God, I think we could build a better world. And like, no, you can't Devin. That's upsetting. it's really upsetting. Devin. This game is very good at that sort of shit. I'm like, okay, so so he has the acting skill, which again means he's great with other people. Uh, also, it gave him a fighting skill because he has has some training in stage combat, which is great. <laughs> um, uh, and like, okay, so we got a theater major. We got a poli sci major. Who's my third character? Oh, it's Quinn Winslow. And his nickname, the nickname that I think he gave himself is... Socrates, because his traits are science editor and philosophy major. Uh, and the flavor oh, text for philosophy God. major is something like, um, you know, w- w- given the fact that the rest of the world are a bunch of brain dead oh. zombies, I think this has made me the leading philosopher in the world, one of the smartest people alive. And it's like, fuck you, Quinn Socrates Winslow. Um, the good news is he's also a science editor. He's like, he edits a science magazine. And so he has like a four star chemistry skill. Very useful uh, in the post apocalypse. The only one with any useful non-combat skill, actually. Um, and so immediately, it's like, oh, these are a bunch of old college friends, right? Like, they all went to school together. They all, like, um, or they were all part of a club, or maybe maybe uh, Socrates was, like, the faculty advisor. You know what I mean? Like, you can start building those stories. And it's a janky survival sim. It's a game where characters get stuck in the geometry to the degree that you the game has the MMO-style unstick command built into it. Oh, boy. Um, it is a game where, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, for whatever reason, the AI, your AI buddy that's happened to me this morning, will just run away from you and just, like, <laughs> go off and fight zombies somewhere else. And, like, why the fuck are you – I'm trying to loot this shop. Watch my back, please. I brought you out here to, to watch my back as we fought these blood plague zombies. Now you're just running away. Like, what the fuck is going on? Um, sometimes the physics get wacky. <laughs> I've heard stories from people who've lost items. Like, there, are, it is buggy in places that it is not – that if you were worried about that stuff, I totally get why you might be upset about it. But like, it's also the sort of game that gives me these amazing stories that only come from something. I don't think this goes all the way to Michael's point of like, oh, it's a bad game. And so I'm able to project. But what I will say is, it depends on what your definition of bad is. I was talking to to uh, my friend Jack, uh, formerly, not formerly, but has written for Waypoint before. Um, who, uh, about this game versus something like God of War. God of War excels for the people who love it because it is this handcrafted thing where there are really high production values and polish and Kratos and Atreus have this relationship that's depicted on screen in great fidelity through, you know, uh, uh, directed action. Um, the characters in Save Decay 2 are always pulling lines from a bucket of lines that are attached to variables, right? So, like, when you heal someone, it just plays what one of their positive lines. Do you know what I mean? It isn't, mm. you know, when, when, when Socrates gets healed by Devin, he doesn't say, like, thanks, Dev, like, that means a lot to me that you cured me of this plague. He says, like, cool, thanks, man. 
or whatever, right? Uh, so it's it's janky in that production value way. But also, because of that, there are these gaps that I'm able to fill in, right? So every character has uh, a sort of heroic ability that they can get. So like that can be something like I had a character who was a paintballer. Uh, and so his heroic ability was intramural sports. Uh, it just raised everybody's athletic skill or their, their cardio skill, I think, a little bit constantly or gave them it gave them like a better... Um, you know what it did? I think it lower it made it so that their stamina I give him like a, a flat stamina boost because he's just like constantly playing soccer with everybody and like making everybody do uh you know, hang out and do um uh tire runs or whatever. Uh and and that's just like a great you don't see that, it doesn't show that, but it tells you what the flavor is, it tells you what the bonus is, and for someone like me, I can fill in that gap really easily. After they're heroes, you can make them leaders. And leaders are four types of leaders. Builders, traders, sheriffs, and warlords. Mm. And the end game is very much about kind of cementing your leader in that role. Um, and then you get a bonus and you can start a new game that is like based on whatever that that previous leader has, has established uh, in the world, right? So I think it's like if you're a builder – you and you finish a game, you finish a playthrough, you get the bonus that like your next society can just start with with running water, uh, which is like a great bonus because you don't have to build a slot. You don't have to devote a slot to setting up running water, you know, uh, on your on your camp. Right. Um, so I had this character who had a, a whose first mission on her path to becoming a warlord was basically like. Um, oh, I heard there are some some gun traders nearby. We should go talk to them and see if they'll sell their guns at a fair price because I've heard they're stolen. And so she goes to to this group. Um, she goes alone. And my options when I go talk to them, they're like, hey, yeah, we have guns for sale. Uh, my options were like, hey, can you sell those to me at a, at a fair price or – uh, the other option was like threaten to take them by force. And I was like, well, no, I don't want – I'll just say, hey, sell them to me at a fair price. Um, and they just laughed at me. They were just like, Haha, no. Uh, like, literally, that is like what they said. And so then I had an option, which was like, all right, you can leave or you can take them by force. And so the character is playing as in this sequence. Um, and the same thing actually played off this morning in a different way. But the character I was playing when I was doing this over the weekend was – um, two of his traits were always cold, um, which is just like, he's always cold. He's always a little uncomfortable. Um, and he was the child of celebrities was his other trait. Uh, and I don't remember the third one was, but it was so easy to imagine him as this sort of affectless, like bougie, he had it all in his, in his life. And then the world fell apart. And now he's just this like this super detached egoist who takes like this like Hannibal villain. I, he was very much like a Mason Verger in my mind. Um, and so I was like, all right, this guy is out by himself. No one is here from the community to see him do what he's about to do. I was able to step into his mind in that way as that character and just be like, all right, if this is the sort of dude he is, then like, let's see him put his foot down. Um, so he says, like, no, you give me those weapons or else. And 
I mean, the thing to know here is the, the weapons, you can kind of like trade with them to kind of see what they have. You can see what they have on them. And their weapons are like such a different quality than mine, right? I had like an old Saturday Night Snub Nose special like revolver <laughs> and they had, you know, PUBG weapons. They had like a scar with a holographic sight attached and a shotgun with a with dragon's breath rounds and an SM. They had like a 50 cal like sniper rifle. You know what I mean? Like they had like military grade weapons that they clearly had stolen from someone who loved their guns more than anything else in their lives. And so he says, no, give me those guns or else. And they are all like, uh, get the fuck out of here right now. And they all turn hostile. They all get the red diamonds uh, over their heads. And we're having this conversation in like a shitty abandoned like ranch home. You know what I mean? Just like garbage on the ground, an old tube TV that's cracked, magazines scattered all over the place. Uh, you know, the 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 late the, the sun of the late afternoon kind of coming in through some like old crooked blinds. Uh super close proximity. And there's three of them, right? And they're kind of surrounding me. Um and they say get out and I pull out my rifle, or not my rifle, I pull out my revolver and then they just get killed. I just kill them. I just shoot them in the head. Because it turns out that, like, a gun is a gun. A gun is a gun, and a head is a head. And I don't care that you have the rifle with a hollow scope. I have a revolver, and I pulled the trigger first. And I killed two of them. And the third one throws his hands up. And he's like, hey, 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 stop, 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 stop. I don't want to die. And I'm like, give me your stuff and get out of here. And he does. And I didn't expect that last thing. That last thing is the game. That last bit is the game giving me that moment. The last thing is someone said, oh, and also if you kill two of the three, the third guy should run away and, and give up. Um, but the feeling of that space and the the feeling of this character who felt like, oh, I might be playing as a sociopath, actually. He could become a warlord one day. Right now, he's just like a, a petty sociopath. And he's going to pull the trigger. And in this terrible world, it doesn't matter what you're armed with. What matters is, are you willing to pull the trigger first? And those NPCs were not. Uh, it was this moment I'll not, I'll never forget from this game that, you know, an hour after this, I'll be complaining because a button prompt wasn't firing, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it was able to give me this very tense and thrilling and terrifying moment for this character that was so unique and, and was, uh, you know, a proc gen moment. Um, it's like completely floored me. Uh, so that is that is my State of Decay two update. Uh, I'm so excited to continue playing it. My team of you know he went home to the three friends who ran a restaurant together and the CEO <laughs> of that restaurant, or in my mind the CEO of that restaurant. Again, he wasn't. That's not a trait. It wasn't CEO of the restaurant where the other characters are from. <laughs> His trait was CEO. And he had another trait that was like. Um, lived for weeks on spoiled food. And so for me, I'm just like, oh, okay. He was obviously the CEO of the the restaurant that they were from. Um, it's given me all of the blank spaces and often because it's refusing to give that structured storyline, that high polish. That, that scene was... I, Austin Walker, will always have a better time with the scene where I got to fill in those details than the version of that scene that would appear in a game like The Last of Us, where... All of that stuff intentionally lined up. Uh, and it almost gets to something I wrote about a couple of weeks ago with the single take stuff, right? Where, like, the fact that it felt coincidental that the, that the sunlight looked the way it did. The fact that 
no one decided which guns that group should have. They were just pulled from a like high quality bucket of guns. The fact that I happened to have that revolver, it wasn't placed in my character's hand perfectly for that cutscene. There was no cutscene. The fact there was no cutscene, the fact that it felt like play and not like narrative, um, or not like a cutscene, not like a like a moment in which I put the controller down and the the game is delivering to me story makes it so special to me in a way that high production values never can. Uh, and in that way, it is a bad game in, in terms of like, it will never sell what The Last of Us 2 sells, like another game about zombies and and survival. Never in a million years will it sell that many uh, copies. And yet it's going to provide something for me that I can't imagine The Last of Us 2 will. So that is my rant about State of Decay 2. <laughs> uh <laughs> Wow, like the fucking Holy Spirit was in me there. Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of of, of, of State of Decay. Yes, um, the, uh, the but, Holy Spirit of Zombie was, was upon you. <laughs> I mean, I bring this up also, Rob. I love, love this question because you wrote about Stalker today, um, which I don't want to say is a bad game. No, and but, I, would, but, I would take issue with that. But in, in that piece, you do say maybe some of what worked with Stalker was a mistake, was like luck. Yeah, like, I, I think Stalker is one of those games where you play it and you're like, nobody would make this game this way right now. Like, right. like literally, there are decisions made, there are balancing decisions made. I'm not even sure they're decisions, right? Like, did anyone know how big a problem some of this stuff was going <laughs> to be? Did anyone even think, like, man, the opening pistols we give you at the start and the opening shotguns are so bad that it will have you questioning everything you think about the ballistics model of the game. Like you will learn in the early part of the game, not to trust your controls because mm -hmm. we are going to give you such crap gear that it is going to feel much like I think things would in real life, right? Like if you actually take a poorly maintained, like crap nine millimeter pistol and try to engage <laughs> in like an open field gunfight at like 50, 50 meters, Right. Probably there's going to be a lot of people spraying lead at each other that, like, uh -huh. never hit anything. Right. But Let me tell you, the, the trick is fight them in a crowded living room instead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's a lot, of, a lot of what makes Stalker work is that it's kind of arbitrary and weird and actually makes a lot of decisions that diminish you or disempower you or make you more vulnerable than maybe you feel you should be at a certain point in the game, right? Like this is a game where there's basically no point where turning a corner into a point blank shotgun blast is not going to get you killed. It doesn't matter right. what you're wearing. And that can just happen because it's a big confusing world without a lot of like, without a ton of set pieces. Like sometimes shit just goes bad in, uh, in Stalker, sometimes you're just walking through a field and you're careless. You think you don't, you don't, you, you just get really casual about like navigating the anomalies that like will suck you in and like rip your body apart. Uh, Cause that's sort of what happens in the zone mm -hmm. in Stalker. And like at a certain point, you'll just stop respecting that. You'll be like, I'm really good at spotting these. I've got a radiation hazard resistant suit. I don't need right, to worry about right. this shit anymore. And then you just, like, step into a fucking vortex and you're dead instantly. <laughs> and I don't Odd. think... I can imagine me reviewing this game this year, right? Like, with my assumptions yeah. now and not having any history with a stalker game. I can imagine myself encountering that now and being like, this is pretty fucking broken. 
Like, right. what, 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 a, what a janky piece of crap. But in 2007, and because of the mystique that's built up around that since then, uh, everything Stalker did felt really novel and new at the time. And right. it's... Does now it feel like a like a a signpost of quality or something? No, I, I think it's more... It, so it hasn't shifted. Do you know what I'm saying? Kind of is like it's you're you're you've given us a hypothetical. This game comes out today. You think you review it and go like, eh, mm, a little too janky. Um, I think I would bring a lot think, of assumptions to it. Without we're in a world in which Stalker doesn't exist, yes. and presumably its descendants don't exist either, right? Yeah. You haven't played the Metro games. Maybe you have played the Metro games, and now you're going to it and going like, eh. Metro did this, but cleaner or something. Yeah, although <laughs> Metro, there's, there's, uh, Metro has its own issues. Yeah, like happily, like playing this after playing Metro, I'm like, mm, actually though, because like the systems of Stalker like generally do obey their own rules pretty well. Uh, <laughs> right, it does end up feeling still a little more consistent than Metro, but like, I just, I just feel like at this point. If Stalker didn't exist, you would look at a lot of this and be like, well, Far Cry is Far Cry has set the bar for how like for feedback in these systems, right? For for how these things right. should feel, for how a game like this should should sort of unfold. And I think because of the moment Stalker comes out during, and sort of the fact that it's sort of unfolding in parallel with the Far Cry series, it ends up it always ended up feeling like an interesting evolutionary path rather than any kind of mistake. Right. 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 Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with it is like playing it now. I find all of this stuff really endearing and fascinating uh, because it is so uncompromised by it. It feels like a game that like literally like it was both made in a state of some naivete about like where a lot of open world game design was headed but uh-huh. also aggressively, like, indifferent to a lot of, like, stuff that we associate with quality of life issues for players. Like, Stalker does not really care about that. Stalker right. will just, like, grind you down. But in the best I way. need to play fucking Stalker, Rob. <laughs> I really do. Soon, soon. This year, I think I'm going to finally find time. Or make it, you know? Danielle, do you have a yeah. game that, like... May- either hues to the things that like Rob and I are saying, which is like, it's not a bad game, but there are definitely some things that are inconsistent about it or are, uh, um, unfriendly. Uh, and yet it lets you make your own, your own story or find your own fun or, uh, even hewing more closely to Michael's original email, like the badness of it, the emptiness of it is what encourages you to, to, build your own narrative in in that space. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, I think obviously immersive Sims do this for me. Right. Uh, I I prefer the story where I don't really have to ever shoot anything. I mean, I do shoot things obviously, but I prefer to fuck around and and see what's possible and experiment and and play. But I Mm -hmm. do also have, and and it's nowhere near the level of your restaurant story of the, of the folks who ran the (laughs) restaurant and also, you know, the CEO who ate Mm -hmm. spoiled hamburgers for three weeks (laughs) and and then his delivery driver and his waitress and et cetera, et cetera. I know you edited edited that video because you remember (laughs) the exact flavor text of his fucking, 
of his, sure do. Of his trait. Nice work. I remember most of their names, too. <laughs> like, God, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. There was Rubem, uh, uh-huh. who, who was, I think he was the paintballer. He was the paintballer. Delivery, delivery? No. No, he was the fast food cook. He was the fast, fast food, food cook. That's right, because he could do cooking and combat. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, and Paul was the guy who was the child of celebrities. Yep, 100%. Matt was the soccer He didn't dude. even come up in the video that you edited. Paul is barely even in that video, Paul's, so the fact that Paul's you remember that. only in there a little bit. Doesn't he look the, like a fucking creepo? I mean, he's wearing that sweater. He does that was have like that the sweater. Ryan Seacrest in 2000 mm. sweater. Oh, like, well, and he looks sure. like Ryan Seacrest in 2035. Do you know what yeah, I mean? He does. Like he, he has. Does. He, maybe he's Ryan Seacrest's son. He's the oh, child he's of the celebrities. Child. That's true. I'm going to send Rob a picture of this fucking guy. Yeah. Uh, also, also, his third trait was rock climber, which, again, for whatever <laughs> reason, fits so cleanly in my mind uh, uh, as being the sort of thing that, that uh, a child of a celebrity who has this kind of, like, cold personality would uh, would would have. He's what always I- cold because he's always on a draft on the side of a cliff, challenging mm. life and trying to feel alive. That's what it is. That's what it is. I, this it is fucking guy looks so <laughs> creepy. To anyway, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. You truly are paying a lot of attention. You know, I clearly. You know, when you edit a video, you see things. You know what I'm saying? Like you start to see things. Uh, you you start to see the red shit. Wait, are you guys going to say? Know? Are you going back into your semblance <laughs> ARG world? No. Sometimes you edit for long enough, Austin. You see this <laughs> pixelated skull in front of you, and it starts telling you shit. God. You know? Yeah. <laughs> It's nowhere near that, but I definitely have uh, the same instinct to kind of make stories about a lot of, of things that don't necessarily have uh, stories like put on top of them. This is a weirdly a game I talk about a lot from my childhood, but Shadows of the Empire. Oh, I sure. made up things like stories about the stormtroopers who lived in the in the dorms. There's like a level. Maybe it's like level seven. It's kind of pretty far wait, down the game. Wait, wait, are, are yeah. we sure they're called the dorms? <laughs> called a dorm or not it's just like it, it's barracks okay there are yeah. barracks inside this spaceship no i think the stormtrooper dorm is way this the, the dorm, dorm the dorm troopers yeah the storm dorm uh is absolutely what that one stormtrooper always just keeps his door open just like <laughs> or just like dude no one Playing wants to come music. hang out with you brett like yeah. calm his the fuck is, down his name is definitely brett or russell Maybe uh-huh. his roommate is Russell. It's I don't Brett know. and Russell. Brett and Russell down the hall. First of all, you want guys come in and play some Smash? I don't want to play Smash <laughs> with you, Brett. We're trying to operate the the second Death Star here. Get on your fucking duty. Put on your also keep your helmet on. We have yeah. a look going. You know that Brett and Russell are wearing their boxers, like the top. All you know they're the wearing time. their top armor. But they're in their like little heart boxers, and they leave as well. the room in their boxers. Yeah, all the time, Brett. I, it's fine. Like, I don't, I'm not, it's not, it's, it's not rude. It's just presumptuous. You know? He comes in, scratches his ass. What if my mom is here? I have to explain to my mom why (laughs) Brett, the stormtrooper, has his fucking dick out. Like, calm down, bro. And you know your parents are going to want to visit you because you're making them real proud in the Imperial Navy. making the second Death Star. You know, you're making the second Death Star, you're going to kill some rebels you're doing good. You've got your crew cut. We worked you hard know, for this. I was on a moisture farm, and now I'm here, and I don't. Oh. Brett's and gonna Russell ruin it for with you. With the fucking Bob Marley, I just I like Bob Marley. I'm fine with Bob Marley. Yeah. No one in the history of the world has liked Bob Marley as much as Russell has. Yeah. Not even. He's got all those posters from Hot Topic. Uh huh. 
You know Russell has been up to some shit. I don't know how he got in, really. To be to be clear, I don't know how he's a stormtrooper. Maybe oh, maybe his don't, dad knows somebody. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know. I must I think that's what it is. I think he donated his dad donated a lot of money to the Stormtrooper Library. Oh, so yeah. the Russell the Russell's father library. That's you know, what it's yeah, really... it's, his, name, his last name is Russell. His name is Russell Russell. Russell Russell. It's a, it's a very it's spelled differently though, because it's Star Wars. It's Russell just R U S E L and then R U S with a dot in it dot too. L like it's R U S dot T L. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Russell. Russell. And also that's what the, the battle droids say. Russell Russell. That's what they say. Yeah. Russell Russell. Yeah. Anyway, what are some of the characters you made up with Shadows of the Empire? I mean, this is basically what happened to <laughs> We just did the thing you did as a kid. I mean, pretty much. I mean, it wasn't nearly as, like, act- true to life in college, because I was, like, <laughs> you were dumb a kid. kid. You hadn't been to college yet, right. <laughs> yeah, but it was very much, like, based on the, the sort of short story collections, like Tales mm, of the Stormtroopers, things like right. that. It would be, like, had a hard day. You know, it would be about, like, they had a hard day, and so they crashed in the, you know, in the dorm, whatever, the barracks, and, like, uh-huh. they were real tired. <laughs> I guess you're same. same. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. In that's that a good storm one. dorm. Because, like, that was yeah. a game that was so... Shadows of the Empire is such an interesting fucking thing. One, because, obviously, the book Shadows of the Empire existed, and, the, and like, it, the comics uh, that, that helped fill in the world a little bit. Like, there was this whole sense of that the characters and the spaces there that you could draw on from other sources. But even as a game, it was this, you know, linear, level-based game where you were walking through the story of this of this world of Dash Rendar of the Outrider blah 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 yeah. but all of the places felt like they were informed by something real and broader even though as like a virtual world the actual game didn't always show you those spaces well yeah um i think a really good example of this is like there's that early biker level <laughs> yeah the the most Eisley, yeah, most Eisley, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Tatooine, where the goal is getting through most Eisley, out into the sands of Tatooine, and then finding Luke out in the in the dunes. And one, it just most Eisley feels so well realized. Like I've played so many games now that take place in most Eisley or take place in similar like hives of scum and villainy, uh, <laughs> and none of them feel as cramped and as dusty as the the my memory of shadows of the empire's version of that um and also those speeder bikes just felt great yeah they were um, real good. but then but then too like you end that level um and you meet up with luke in a cutscene, and it's so weird but like i have such a clear memory of luke's little jedi like burrow shroud yeah, yeah. And, and his shroud right? and his outfit but i remember the, the place he's in that place isn't in that game you don't go into that game like you pull up and it fades to black to a cutscene, if i'm remembering right but i i just for whatever reason it communicated something about that place so well to me because of everything else going on in that most eisley level um which is which is a weird thing to say, but like I don't know. I think that game that game communicated space. You're totally right uh, yeah. in a way that was great, definitely greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, it's it's one of those games that I've always sort of secretly suspected was better than the the sort of reputation of a like it's a ropey doom clone with some vehicle levels kind of thing. Right, uh, right. But there's something about that architecture. I swear that just evokes a lot. Uh, that that's. Yeah, not necessarily. I don't know if it was partially a mistake, <laughs> but uh, yeah. it was pretty cool. I definitely suspect it was partially a mistake. That game, 
that game had its issues. Or like the Boba yeah. Fett, the, like the train level, the the, the train level is amazing. Level. The Boba Fett level is like forty five minutes long, it's and you're so alone long. for most of it. Yeah. And I loved it. I I played that over and over and over and over again just to look at every nook and cranny and and feel like I was in this weird space that right. was massive. It was. Very big at the time, you know, 1996, Have 97. You thought about doing a Shadows of the Empire speedrun. Oh my god, I've watched a lot of Shadows of the Empire speedruns, I can tell you that. Are I they... don't know if I could handle it. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the golden game to, to finally make you a speedrunner. I, I, oh god, it's probably Into the Breach, just because I put like 350 hours into it at this point. Jesus but... Christ, that's so much more than me or Rob, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm a secret tactics gamer. It's it's the truth. It's coming out. You know this is a podcast. I was going to say, yeah. It's not a secret anymore. People are listening to this right now. I I had no idea that this was going to happen to me. Like, Mm -hmm. it happened with Mario and Rabbids, and, like, I just didn't know. It was like I had this genre that apparently, like, really speaks to me that I just had no idea until I was in my, like, mid-30s, which is very weird. But, hey, you know, I'm still still kicking, so... (laughs) Nice work. Uh, anyway. I'm, curious if you, I'm curious if that continues with you. I'm really like genuinely curious to see if you if you find more tactics games that really appeal. Um, I mean, I clearly need to play BattleTech and XCOM. But, totally, hundred percent. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it one, goes. One thing at a time. Yeah. Um. All right. I think it is maybe time to to wrap this thing up. Let's talk about our waypoints for the week. Mine is going to be really short. I played a game uh, while on my way back from California uh, on the Switch that's also available on PC. I, I mean, I know this because because I started playing it on PC uh, years ago, like years and years ago, called Sky Rogue, which oh. is I like. It is the most Sega game. It is the most late '90s, early 2000s Sega game that's not made. That's not on a Sega platform and not made by Sega. Uh, it is called Sky Rogue. It's by a developer called Fractal Phrase. Um, it is a roguelite, like um, behind, like third person, uh, like flight arcadey flight sim uh, kind of shooter um, in which you go out on missions to destroy other planes uh it looks like early virtual on or like virtual racing it has like that like a virtual cop era sega like low poly flat shading look um the music feels very much of that era of the virtual on era of sega uh it's on pc it's on switch i was playing it on switch um it's hard uh and i'm not sure if i i I think that there's there's a chance that it encourages a sort of really boring play to get the most out of every level but if you force yourself to play it like an arcade game like you're sitting down and just going high speed and locking on with missiles and dodging incoming missiles and doing barrel rolls and flips and you know uh machine gun strafes it's really 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 entertaining so consider checking that out it's called sky rogue uh danielle rob any what are your waypoints for the week Oh, go ahead. You can go first here. Uh, yeah, just real quick, I'll toss out what I put in my uh, open thread for this week. But yeah, last mm. night I ended up just sort of falling back into Michael Clayton, uh, which is a really good uh, George Clooney movie. Uh, stars, uh, I think, Tom Wilkinson. Is that it? Uh, but it's a Tony Gilroy script uh, who wrote okay. uh, the better uh, Bourne movies. And one of the things that makes a Gilroy movie a a Gilroy movie is that they're very interested in 
institutions and people within them. The relationships between, uh, you know, rules, norms, expectations, ethics. And Michael Clayton is probably his best movie about those themes. Uh, George Clooney is a sort of career fixer for a corporate law firm based out of New York. And the crisis in this in this movie is that one of their top litigators uh, has maybe had a psychological meltdown or maybe has finally sort of seen through what he is doing. And it has <laughs> dawned on him that he is basically being an accomplice to uh, like massive malfeasance on the part of a company that's killed hundreds of people. Um, Love it. Great. Yeah. yeah. And so... Uh, Clooney's character is brought in to fix all of this, but very quickly it starts to snowball into a well. Where are the lines, right? Like, what is fixing it going to? What is fixing it going right. to look like? And can you even do this job and maintain your identity as a good person and a friend to your coworker who's having this like moral crisis? Um, it is a great movie. It's got a lot of brilliant performances, and it's weird. It feels so trite and basic to talk about how good an actor Clooney is but he does such amazing work reacting to what people are telling him um it is a cool. it is a an important part of an actor's craft is how is how you like respond to what the person you know sort of at the center of the scene is doing there's this moment where his boss uh Sidney Pollack is talking about um a a death, a, a major death in the uh, in the course of the in the course of the movie, and Sidney Pollock is starting to just reveal how heartless and callous he is, and he keeps like approaching it and veering away from it, and approaching and veering away from it, and you see on Clooney's face the realization of what the guy wants to say, what is really in his heart, and you see the pain of that moment like land as he realizes like his friend, his mentor is this kind of person after all that the right. rod is that deep mm. and it is a pivotal moment in the scene in the movie that passes almost out, like the movie doesn't like flag it as super important but it absolutely is it is it is a crossroads that like takes place entirely uh like you know around Clooney's eyes basically it's amazing oh, that sounds great i somehow have never seen this movie and it feels like it's so incredibly my thing <laughs> So it's like from an era at which I stopped seeing a lot of movies, uh, and now I'm mad at myself because I should I should <laughs> spend the time. Sometimes movies are good. It's sometimes movies are good. Agreed. <laughs> I'm with you. Hell yeah, uh, Danielle. Do you have a waypoint for the week? I do. I sure do. Um, I'm only halfway through it, uh, so there there could be complications after this. Uh, but I am absolutely in love with uh, Jessica Jones season two right now. Uh, Jessica Jones has long been my favorite Marvel thing ever. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Black Panther is now up there, and I think Legion is uh, fairly high up as well. And I've always kind of liked the Thor movies. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm really not the biggest Marvel fan uh, at all. Like, I'm not like a not fan, but I like their slightly weirder genre stuff. Yeah. Like, I like the weird comedy sci-fi shit of Thor, and I like the you just mind fuck of Legion, and I like the detective noir story of uh, Jessica Jones. So. Right. The second season, I think, is incredibly strong thus far. Uh, and the one thing I'd like to flag here is definitely Carrie Ann Moss as uh, Jerry Hogarth, as like this asshole attorney 
just ridiculous, like ice cold queer woman who just gets what she wants. She's a horrible person. Uh, but something really, really, really pivotal happens to her very early on. And I, I think it is like a, a masterful job for an acting job. I know an acting job in a superhero mm-hmm. show is not always, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's not always uh, the highest bar to clear. But what she goes through, I'll just say that there, it has to do with an illness uh, and what she kind of goes through and how she reacts to it and what she does is just absolutely incredible and kind of heartbreaking, even for being such an asshole. Like, she is supposed to be an asshole in this show. She was, you know, in pseudo-villain, pseudo-ally territory uh, throughout all of the first season and sort of there as well uh, in much of the second season uh, to Jessica, the sort of main character. But it's just, man, it's incredible. Carrie Ann Moss is, is like, Goddamn! Uh, in terms of like a career revival right. kind of role, this is oh, it's amazing, and it's just a really, really interesting and good show uh, that that digs into a lot of stuff about trauma. It digs into a lot of stuff about sexism. It digs into a lot about uh, sort of living in a world of uh, really intense moral grays and and kind of how to deal with that. And of course, there's superpowers, and it's a lot of fun. And Kristen Ritter's great, so. Yeah, halfway through and loving it. Really, really enjoying it so far. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening. Go check out those things that we all recommended. Uh, as always, <laughs> again, you can send questions to gamingadvice.com with the subject question. Uh, as always, thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that at waypoint.zone slash B-O-E-N. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash waypoint. And follow me at Austin underscore Walker. Where can people find you, Danielle? You can find me at Danielle R-I. And what about you, Rob Zachney? At Rob Zachney. There it is. All right, everyone have a good week. We will be back uh, throughout the week for, with more streams and more podcasts, as always. Uh, you know, nothing to, uh, special to announce quite yet, but, you know, n- normal stuff. Mornings, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, and, and we'll have you back on Friday for another podcast. All right, I'm going to go take a fucking nap, I think, and try to recover <laughs> before I have some afternoon meetings. Uh, Danielle, you want to help us t- t- take us out? Hell yeah. Be good and be good at it. Peace. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.